0: I don't know. People are so afraid. I mean, I'll, I'll say it. You know, in Pentecostal terms. People are so afraid that they're going to catch a demon or right, something, right. rather than believing that like, they belong to Christ and that mm-hmm. Christ is guiding them. It's like you know, I I have more belief in God's power to to save and to heal and to deliver and to guide than I do in the enemy's ability to be able to deceive right. and to kill and to whatever. Yep. So.
1: Hi friends, I'm speaking to you as someone who has officially finished writing her manuscript. I feel like a giant weight has been lifted off my shoulders, which I know won't last too long because I'll get edits soon and then that will start the whole process all over again. But I do want to say thank you to so many of you for your support, whether it's through Twitter or Instagram or email, I couldn't and wouldn't be doing this work without you all listening and engaging with me and so a huge thank you. Also with that, please don't forget to leave a review if you listen and like the protagonistas as it's super helpful for us to know who's listening and what y'all think. I'm super excited about this episode with writer, speaker, podcast host Ali Henny. Ali is a leading voice on race, racial healing, justice, and the church. When Ali and I got on the call, we literally spoke for two whole hours. The only other person that I spoke to nearly that long was Irene Cho, and you can hear her episode a couple months back. Anyway, because our conversation was so long, I decided to divide it up into two parts. So for the first part, Allie and I chat about something that's actually been pretty close to my heart lately, and something I engage a ton in my upcoming book, and that's our ancestors and the role they play in our spirituality. Ali gives some context on her spiritual background, how faith in the black church has influenced her, and how dreams have played a role in her calling, and I even talk about how dreams have played a similar role in mine. You'll hear us chat more about it, but the cloud of witnesses mentioned in Hebrews is huge for many of us who grew up in non-white spaces. What's so unfortunate, however, is that many of our faith traditions are often demonized or thought of as suspect a reality we're seeking to deconstruct in our culture and in our world. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I so hope you enjoy the first part of our conversation. Don't forget to tune back for part two, and welcome to the protagonistas. Thank you so much for chatting with me. So, before we begin, well, before I begin with asking you, the questions that I want to ask you, Allie, I would love to hear about your background, uh, where you grew up, what faith or spirituality looked like for you growing up.
0: So I grew up in um, rural Missouri, about an hour or so outside of Kansas City. And I lived there for like the first 19 years of my life. And then I went to college in southwest Missouri and um, lived there was in was in college graduated from college with a bs in psychology and my minor was religious studies went there went to the ministry Was served at a church for several years and then moved um, to the DC, Washington, DC area. Was there for about five years, moved back to Missouri and was back in Missouri for about four years. And I recently relocated to Chicago. So I say that um, because, like that, you know, being somebody that grew up in rural Missouri, that definitely is something that has shaped my identity. And then also living in a very kind of predominantly white city in Southwest Missouri and then moving to a city that, um, That was a little bit more diverse um, in living in Washington D.C. or living outside of Washington D.C. That was definitely a a different thing. And then going back home, and then just recently in the past couple of months, have relocated uh, to the south side of Chicago. And so that's kind of that. That that kind of I I say that to kind of give your listeners a an idea, kind of of who I am. So being being a small town, being a small town country girl um, who has found her way into the city and um realizing that my husband and I both kind of realize, like we're city folk we're Mm -hmm. we're not country folk we we appreciate we appreciate our hometown we um my husband and I both are from are from the same uh hometown we were high school sweethearts and everything and um grew up in the same same farming community etc etc um but that's kind of, you know, gives an appreciation perhaps of, of who I am. So then in terms of kind of my faith and, and spirituality, uh, I grew up, the The town where I grew up was no less than 95% white at any point where I lived there. But there was a black community in that small little town and there were black communities in some of the other little rural towns that were um, some of the bigger Little towns that were around us, and so my faith was was formed. Was I, I found faith within the context of the black church of the of the black mm-hmm. American church, the the African American church experience, and so I first came to the knowledge of God uh, through a black Baptist church in mm-hmm. my in my little town, and. We were there for, my family was there kind of off and on for the first several years of my life. There was a point, a very brief period that um, as a child, my dad was in the Air Force. And so we relocated to New Mexico. And lived out there for about nine months before my parents divorced. And so then whenever we lived out in New Mexico, we visited, I believe we we went to an AME church maybe for a while. And we've kind of visited several other different black churches, um, one on base. And then my mom had some friends who went to church off base. And so we would visit some of those churches and whatever. And so, um, but a lot of my faith was was formed and was developed in in this little black rural Baptist church. And then um, there were just a lot of things that kind of, that kind of happened there. Um, nothing that happened directly to us, but some things mm-hmm. that, that kind of happened within that church that um, my mom was just like, you know, I just don't really feel like this is a good scene. There had been several kind of pastoral shifts. Mm-hmm. There just had been all sorts of different things that, that had, that had happened. And so um, my family could, because of some of these things I that would, that, that had happened, my family would kind of be in and out of church a little bit because, you know, we would be there, something would happen. Mm -hmm. We would kind of hang back for a little bit and then, you know, there'd be a new pastor or something would would change or whatever. And so, um, we would, we would go back. And so, um, the, there was a point when, when something happened. And so that was sort of the final straw for my mom. And so we were out of church and we didn't, we didn't go for a while. And then my mom met, um, Some of the man who would become um, her pastor would become our pastor for several years at a funeral of someone that it was, it was his distant relative. And it was somebody that was, might've been a distant relative of ours too, but was somebody that was um, a friend, somebody in in the community that my, that my mom knew um, where we're in the little town that she had grown up in. And so she had met him and he was a Pentecostal pastor and she didn't know that at the time. She just knew that he was a pastor Mm -hmm. and he had invited her, um, to his church that was in another small town, uh, that was about 40 minutes away from where I grew up. And so we visited and my mom really enjoyed it. And then she realized like, oh, it was a Pentecostal church. And so she kind of had, um, some ideas of kind of what Pentecostals Mm -hmm. were. And and she, what she had known of Pentecostalism was like the the snake, the snake handling and Mm -hmm. poison drinking Mm -hmm. and stuff like what people, uh, do in Appalachia which of course that is the vast minority of Pentecostal believers um in the United States and really anywhere that's the vast minority Um, but she didn't know that at the time and so and it's probably good that she didn't know that that Mm -hmm. she didn't that she didn't know that at the time and that she didn't realize that the church was a Pentecostal church because we probably wouldn't have even gone but the Lord just kind of you know he, the Lord kind of allowed that to not be apparent. I mean, it was on. It was on the sign when we drove up. Yeah. I saw the sign, like it, like I saw it, it. Opened up my eyes. I saw the sign. But anyway, I'm just being I'm being a little <laughs> bit extra. I'm sorry, um, but I saw it. And I was like. Oh, okay. And so my stepdad had grown up Pentecostal and had been kind of trying to get her into Pentecostalism. My mom was like, no. And so um, anyway, uh, we went to that church and my mom, uh, you know, felt like that we were supposed to be there. And so then as we were driving away, she saw the sign to the church and was like, oh, (laughs) yeah, okay. And so but I mean, you know, there wasn't anybody handling snakes or drinking right. bleach or anything <laughs> weird at the church. And so it was a lot like our little rural Baptist church. And so I spent um, the the six years that we had started going there uh, whenever I was about 13 and um, I I went there. Up until um, immediately after I graduated from high school, the pastor of that church um, married my husband and I uh, 15 years ago. Um, we were very very young whenever whenever my husband and I uh, got married, and so within that, that was kind of just some of my kind of some of my upbringing and kind yeah. of you. Know, so I, so I identify as uh, Pentecostal and Charismatic, and I've spent you know since I've spent time in different. Um, non-denominational churches with, with a Pentecostal background or in heritage or, um, charismatic, which there's, there's some differences, but they're really kind of the same. Um, they're really basically the same mm. there, but there are some, some differences, um, within the movement. And so, um, I have been in a, in a couple of different denominations, um, not, not like as an ordained minister or, or anything, um, but just, uh, been in some churches of some different pentecostal denominations and then um about a year ago um maybe a little bit more than a year ago at this point i found myself being drawn to anglicanism and so Mm. now i am a member of the episcopal church even though um i am a member of the episcopal church i was i was confirmed a member of the episcopal church um in November of 2019 and even though like that's you know that's that's kind of where, I, where I'm at right now and and where um I feel like I'm supposed to be um I definitely identify as you know identify as um a, a charismatic Episcopalian or yeah. I, I guess that, that even because the charismatic Episcopalian that's actually like that's actually a thing but I, I kind of call myself like Anglo-Costal like that, mm. that you know, I'm, I'm like I'm Anglican that that's part of who who I am Um, but also my Pentecostalism you'd have to pry it out
1: of my my cold dead hands so (laughs) right right so what was that do you remember what that transition was like uh, when you were a kid kind of going from a Baptist black church to a Pentecostal one I know you said that your mom kind of it kind of changed what she had envisioned but how about for you did you yeah how did that change happen for you so really there was not, there was not much of a difference, um, right. because
0: both of the churches were black churches. And right. so the worship was very similar. The worship, the, 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 the songs that we sang were very, were very similar. I mean, so you're, mm-hmm. you're talking about a church, you're talking about churches like kind of in the same region. Right. Um, a lot of, you know, the, the way that the, the black church is in a lot of ways is, um, There are definitely churches that are Part of denominations that are, that, that, you know, that's, that, that they, that their belief, their doctrine, you mm-hmm. know, their, their, their covenant, whatever it is, might align a certain way um, with whatever denomination. But the expression, but the Black church is so much bigger than right. a denomination. And a lot of times, you know, people will, will kind of codify. And even, you know, within the Black church, people will kind of gatekeep, well, who's really the Black church? Like, the, there's, mm-hmm. there's like, there's the historic Black church, like historic denominations and, and whatever but it, as far as like you know the the, the general person on a pew a lot of times, the difference is I go to this church, I don't, I don't go to that church, or maybe you know I'm mm. going to this church, and then something happens, and then if you're if you're in a in a place where there's several black churches, you might be at the black Methodist church, and then the black Methodist church gets a new pastor, you don't like that pastor, so you go to the black Baptist church, right. and you're at the black Baptist church. Not to say that black people are church hoppers because we're not, but mm. sometimes mm. that's just just the way that it happens yeah. is you might be at the black Baptist church for a while, and then maybe you know your family's there for. For a generation, and then somebody else decides to go to the Black Apostolic Church, and so you're there. And so some of the differences can be very minute So some of the differences can be just if the difference between like okay, so I'm gonna to go to the black Pentecostal church and I'm expected you know to to wear a skirt and mm-hmm. to wear a hat and whatever. But you go to the black Apostolic church and you're expected to do maybe certain things. You go to the Black Baptist church, and then the the culture there is different. You go to the black charismatic non-denominational church and that's and that's completely different. So for me, there's there was not very much of a of a change. The difference for me, you know, as a kid, because I was you know a teenager, um, middle school in high school so for me the difference was I had to get up earlier to go to this church and we um it it, church was maybe it wasn't even like it wasn't even really longer it felt longer in some ways I mean so some of the some of the differences were really superficial and then of course um because this was a Pentecostal church there definitely was an emphasis on um having spoken in tongues and I say that there was an emphasis there wasn't, I never really felt like that there was like a lot of pressure or anything like that. Um, There would be times that people maybe would, would pray in tongues or whatever, but honestly, like that, that was something that was um, that, that felt that kind of seemed rare in, in my context. Um, You know, there definitely would be, be, I think I remember maybe once or twice, maybe there being a message in tongues. Um, and then maybe you know somebody would, would would preach and maybe would 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 speak out in tongues for a moment, um or somebody may, while they were worshiping maybe would would speak in tongues or whatever, but that was almost kind of like this moment that was like a climactic moment as right. opposed to as opposed to the norm and and um in other Pentecostal and charismatic contexts. It, different, different uh, being being kind of around some different, some different um, denominations and different cultures and stuff. Every group kind of has their their own culture for how those things are handled. But other than other than that, other than okay, like you know, I, I received um, what what they would call the the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But but I received um, the ability to speak in tongues um, whenever whenever I was fourteen. Um, mm-hmm. After we've been going to church there probably for for about two years. Um, at that point. Um, but it wasn't anything, it was just something that just kind of happened and it was just sort of whatever, but that was, but those were really the, the, the only, the only differences and the only, the only real, the only real change, um, that, that I perceived. I mean, there, there definitely, you know, were some, some doctrinal differences Mm -hmm. and stuff, but, um, yeah, I mean that not, not a whole lot that was, that was a major effect.
1: Yeah. So I do want to ask about, um, going from, you know, a charismatic Pentecostal background to now your transition into Anglicanism and, Episcopal, you know, the Episcopal Church. But I actually would love to hear before that, um, sort of your transition or your call, um, quote, unquote, call, however you want to articulate that to ministry, like, how did you go from, you know, being someone who attends church, and, and you said that you were a psych major. Um, and then, you know, where did that, you know, I think I'm going to pursue this full-time or seriously, I guess is might not be the right, word, but you know what I mean? Like I'm going to pursue this, um, wholeheartedly. How did that transition happen in your life?
0: Yeah. So you know, the Lord called me to ministry when I was a teenager and, um, in all of that you know i i talk about how i talked about you know how my family we were part of a church and then we weren't part of a church and then we were part of this pentecostal church well way back um this is kind of a weird story i i, I admit that but it's a but it's a part of my story so you know hey it's whatever um and and i recognize that everybody's story isn't is isn't really the same and this yeah. is a part of my story that, that i that i up until recently haven't always told because i didn't i didn't really realize the significance mm. of it until i started thinking about it and mm. Yeah. And like, I was like, I, I said it out loud one time and I was like, oh my gosh, that actually was kind of significant. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but whenever I was, uh, uh probably, I think it, it happened, I've it, had the dream, um, twice, um, whenever I, I believe once the first time, whenever I was nine and the second time, um, whenever I was 10, but I had a recurring, it was a recurring dream. I would actually call it like my good Friday dream. Cause I had it twice. I had it two years in a row. Um, But I dreamed that I was, it was, it was Good Friday and I I would have this, like, I literally would have this dream the morning of Good Friday, Mm. the two, the two times that happened it was literally the morning of Good Friday. And so I had a dream that it was Good Friday. And so, because it was Good Friday, I was out of school. And Mm. so like, I would dream that it was Good Friday and that I was coming up to my house and my house uh, had a patio on it. We had patio furniture that was right there, but it was actually our back door. But we always, the the driveway was in the back of the house and it was on kind of a main street. So that was always the door that we used. Mm. And I remember as I'm walking up to my house, I see a man sitting on the patio. And in this dream, like he's, he's just, he looks like a dude. I mean, this is 1994, 1995. Mm. So he looks like a dude from 1994, 1995. Mm -hmm. He's got dark hair that, that had this like, you know, bowl cut with it, with a Mm -hmm. center part in it. Mm -hmm. He's wearing glasses and he had like this, you know, scruffy, 1994, 1995 mm-hmm. beard, and he's wearing and he's wearing like kind of all black and like had like had a vest on or whatever, just like you know this really like hip looking, this hip looking thirty <laughs> something dude from that from that time, mm-hmm. and so as I as I come up and sit and and you know see the man on the porch, I realized that it was Jesus. Oh wow! And so um like I'm talking to him, and it's so, like because dude like he's looking really sad, and so I'm like so I so like I I know that it's Jesus, and so I'm like. Like Jesus was wrong, and so Jesus is like sad, and he's like, he's like, yeah, there's there's these people that they're that they're trying to kill me, and um, they don't realize that I'm God, whatever. And so I'm like, so in the dream, I'm just like oh my gosh it's so like I it's so like I realized like like there's this whole thing like like it's just like I don't know how to, because it's a dream it's like I, I right. suddenly like you have knowledge in the dream that there are people that are out to kill Jesus that they're trying to find him and they're and they're out to kill him and this is like this is our our modern like like in the, at the mm-hmm. time you know, this is 1994 1995 mm-hmm. and people are trying to kill Jesus and because they don't because they don't believe that he's God and so I look at Jesus and they you know they don't believe that he's that he's real so I looked at Jesus and I was like I was like well Jesus I'll I'll tell people that you're real and mm. so, and then like, I woke up from the dream. Mm. And so I had that dream twice. And so, you know, I see that that's really significant um, because I, I had the dream is like, I was like, wow, you know, whatever. But it wasn't until I was like an adult adult mm. that I really, that that dream, the impact of that, like really, really, really hit me mm. was like. Oh my goodness. You know, I had a vision of Christ in a dream where he's like, basically people, people don't believe in me. Don't believe that I'm real. And I'm telling Jesus that I'm going to tell people wow. that he's real. <laughs> and then, and then here I am, you know, um, like, I, like, I really started to kind of recognize what that was in my late twenties. And it's like, you know, oh, here I am. In my late twenties, a preacher, mm. and <laughs> and I'm telling people about about Christ. Whoa! Yeah. And that, that was something that that was a part of my story for a long time that I just kind of dismissed. It's like, okay, yeah, I had this dream and it was whatever, um, but I didn't realize like like the Lord highlighted to me just the significance of that. So there was that, but there was that dream that I I had as a nine and 10 year old, but then, you know, several years kind of in between there, it was kind of like, I I liked going to church, I enjoyed church, but I wasn't really like super churchy or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Like I wasn't really like super into it, but I I liked going, I liked hearing about like I liked you know reading the stories when I was a kid I look at my children's bible a lot but I started going to church at the the Pentecostal church the people were friendly and everything but it was one of those things where it's like it was it was a change and at that point it was like I was just kind of like all this stuff had happened at the church that I had grown up in and then I'm at this other church and people are friendly but like as I'm like I'm really super inconvenienced because I have to get up really super early mm-hmm. I was one of the few teenage people my age at the church and so there's just like a lot of things that I was just like I just really don't like it here and <laughs> like I just like I just really don't really care about yeah. going to church and just really just kind of wanted just kind of go through that that phase I never was did anything like really super bad or anything mm-hmm. like that but I just was kind of at a phase where I'm just like I'm just not really sure if like I believe in God but I'm not really like you know church is whatever right, and right. you know like this idea of like oh you've got to read your bible and pray and live for God and like all this other type of stuff Is was like yeah I just kind of want to live my life I don't mm-hmm. want to like have to go to church and yeah have to do like all this other type of stuff and so there was a point where where um I could I could feel God drawing me but I kind of was running away from mm-hmm. that and was kind of like uh, i don't you know i don't really want to have to have to deal with this church thing and i don't really i don't really want to have to whatever and so then i was also i was a teenager during the millennium so the so the you know, change between nineteen eighty nine oh, and yeah. the year two thousand and that whatever, <laughs> and so you know, especially like, like all the like all the white people were like freaking out <laughs> about it, like all the white church people were freaking out about it. But there, but there's elements of that that kind of you know hit my hit my rural church. We weren't prepping, we weren't doing anything like. Wild like that, mm. but I remember like somebody coming to the church and talking about like how they knew somebody who had picked somebody up on the road, and like there was a dude who was like, "Yeah, Gabriel's fixing to blow trumpet," and like the dude disappeared, mm. like it like just just kind of like like stuff like people kind of being like, "You know, like what's like, the year two thousand? What's gonna happen? Yeah. Are you are gonna be raptured, like whatever," yeah. <laughs> and like it was just and so like so I kind of was like adjacent to that hype, like mm. I didn't I didn't buy into it, I didn't whatever, but I think that being a teenager at that time and I and mean, be I people in a lot of different eras probably have like similar type stories you know with mm-hmm. all the hype of like you know 88 re- 87 reasons why jesus is coming back in mm-hmm. 1987 and 88 <laughs> reasons why jesus is coming back in 1988 because mm-hmm. the guy got it wrong in 87 so he came up with one more reason <laughs> yeah. that it's gonna be 1988 yet here we are like 30 years later yeah. <laughs> and 30, 30 years later and jesus still ain't come come back or right. whatever um so there's you know i think that, that a lot of generations have similar type of similar type of stories but I remember you know, being a teenager in that time and kind of you know all the hype about the the millennium all the hype about the year 2000 and like what was it going to mean Y2K like all, all this mm-hmm. other type of stuff and so like within that there was and so the you know, left behind books had come out and like there was just so there's just this kind of palpable like what's going to happen we don't know what we're going to have we don't know what's going to happen like if Jesus going to come back and so kind of with that they're being kind of like an an element of fear, I guess. And like, I wasn't afraid of anything, afraid of mm-hmm. anything. But at the same time, I was like, Oh, well, you know, like if Jesus does come back, what I get, what I get, <laughs> what is that? Like, like, you right. know, like, like, would I like, so you start so you're thinking about these things. Mm-hmm. And so those things were, were on my mind, but I, I didn't have like, there are people that have, you know, they're still traumatized. They're still mm-hmm. walking through, through trauma and stuff from that time. For me, it wasn't, it, for me, I can look back at it and kind of poke fun at it and laugh because it wasn't traumatic for yeah. me because it wasn't presented in that type of way in this kind of, you know, browbeating or whatever kind of way that would make it scary or traumatic. But I remember that that for me, the way that that, that was was kind of like, okay, and reflect on myself. Like, am I am I right with the Lord? Mm-hmm. Like am, Like, am I really? And so it was one of those things where it was like, you know, I don't know if I'm right with the Lord or not. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like I don't because of, because of what was kind of presented to me was kind of this idea of like, okay, you know, being right with the Lord was like, you know, I'm sitting like read my Bible and go to church all the time, whatever. And I'm just so it's somehow in my mind I just like gotten it, like, I'm not gonna, you know, like it to live or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm like I, you know, I got like, you know, bye bye birdie, we got a lot of living to do. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, I just don't really wanna be be up in that but like I said but I started and so I found myself like kind of you know, running away from the Lord and stuff mm. but then you know God um you know is gracious and I mean that's that's you know, not who God is right. um and he was gracious to kind of you know, keep drawing me or whatever and I remember um whenever I started dating my husband we started dating um our junior year which was uh 2002-2003 And so kind of my, my, my husband grew up Lutheran, his family devout Lutheran, multiple generations, Um, Lutheran founded, his grandpa was founding member of the Lutheran church where we grew up. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just like that, that was kind of his background, Mm -hmm. and everything. And so we had, so whenever we started getting together, we started talking about church and talking about God more, and I was just kind of like, okay, like you're a Lutheran, okay, like whatever, bro, like you know, <laughs> Pentecostalism is where it's at, and um, you know, just as we would we would start to have like these conversations about about God and about and about church and spirituality and everything, um, I found myself becoming you know drawn deeper into it. And so, you know, long story short, I had this incident again where where God was just drawing me, where I realized like. Oh man, like I need to, like I, like I'm running away for the Lord, and like I need to get right with the Lord, and and you know have this. I had this inci- instance where like I'm spiritually like wrestling with the Lord, which in- incidentally, one of the meanings of, of one of my names, um, has to do with that. Mm-hmm. And so what of, what of, of, of of my actual name has has to do with with wrestling with that with that story of Jacob, um, mm-hmm. wrestling with the Lord. And I, you know, just realized, okay, like, okay, I'm going to start living for God. And so I started, you know, feebly trying to live for God as a, as a 17 year old. And I didn't really know what that meant, but I just knew like something, just something in me mm-hmm. had had changed. And, you know, push came to shove about a year after that incident, I was in, I was a drummer in, in band in high school. And so there were some kids at one of the Baptist youth groups in town that predominantly white Baptist church, they um, needed a drummer for their, for their youth worship band. And so um, they asked me if I would be their drummer. So I was like, okay, cool. So, you know, I went with them and I was at this youth group and the youth pastor there, he just really, I think, just sense like the call, like God just you know was mm. was impressing on him the call on my life, and there was an event um, that was going to be in Kansas City. Um, i had just been I'd just been part of the youth group for a couple of months, and there was going to be this event in in Kansas City, and um, it was a Choir of the Fire um that that team mania team mania event, and so youth pastor just really really felt like I was supposed to go, and mm. so he was just like you know like hey can you know I, I I want you to be able to come to this, can you come to this, and so I mean my mom. My my my, my, family, my parents were strict and they, they didn't let me, my mom you know, barely let me out of her sight for anything. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I mean, you know, for school stuff, like, you know, yeah, I know right, I traveled right. all over Missouri for school stuff, but like, you know, outside of like, you know, going and being with people and stuff like that, my mom's like, i'm not sure like what mm. kind of and I, and I totally understand the doubt because people you know in the world are ratchet and do and do <laughs> right. stuff and like and so i'm just like there's no way my mom is gonna let me go to to kansas city with y'all she don't know she don't know any of these people here like yeah. she don't she, like she ain't gonna let me go and so like i was telling you pastor i'm just like i mean yeah i want to go but i'm not sure if my mom will go and so um I was in a band with, with one of his sons, youth pastors, one of the youth pastors' sons, or actually both of them, um, were in band with me. And so at a jazz, everybody at a jazz band concert, he went up to my mom and was just like, you know, I really want her to be able to go to this thing. We've already paid, like, 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 you know, her tickets already paid. We're mm-hmm. staying at a church. Like, all she has to do is show up. Mm-hmm. And my mom was just sort of like, and that's why I'm like, my mom's gonna tell him no. And so, like, for whatever <laughs> reason, my mom was like, okay I guess she can go wow and so because <laughs> I'm thinking like my because I asked my mom about it and she was kind of like yeah yeah but so and my mom is not the type of parent if you if so like if, if my mom told me no about something and then like i asked my friends or ask somebody's parents or whatever she like that would make her know like all the more solid and i'm right. in trouble <laughs> so i'm just like oh my gosh pastor david's gonna go and talk to my mom about this and my mom's gonna get mad because i because I, did, I didn't put i did yeah. not put him up to it he went he went on his own yeah. and so i'm just thinking like because i'm just like my mom's like oh, let me go so i'm not even I've, I've tried this i'm not gonna do it anymore mm-hmm. and so So he convinced her to let me go. So I went. And the first night, uh, the Lord called me into ministry and I just I just as I was I've gone down to the altar because I was I was a, I was 18 I was a senior and they had put some of us older kids kind of in charge of some of the middle school kids and so I had a group of four seventh grade girls that I was kind of like mm. their, not their, like their chaperone but I was kind of like a student leader that was kind of making sure that the that the seventh graders didn't right. get lost mm-hmm. in Kansas City <laughs> and so that was kind of my my thing and so a couple of the girls like were going down to the altar like, at municipal auditorium in Kansas City and I'm just like Oh my gosh! These mm-hmm. kids are just like walking off, and and I mean, I didn't, I'd never been to an event like that. I didn't know like what an mm-hmm. altar call or anything like that was. Oh, wow. Like really, like like the like the concept of like, oh, you're whatever. So I'm just see- I'm seeing like these two old thirteen-year-olds just like go off someplace by themselves in mm-hmm. Kansas City, and I'm like, no. <laughs> so like I got so like I got up and like went with them because like somebody's gotta be with them because like none of the adults like all the adults were just kind of staring at them I'm like what's wrong with these adults <laughs> I, didn't under- I didn't understand yeah. like, what was happening but I'm just like oh my gosh and like what was I like what on earth was I gonna do um <laughs> like as an 18 year old like what was I gonna do but anyway but it, but it was just funny because it was just like ha- just how the Lord works like i was yeah. just like I'm just like okay I'm gonna go down here and, like somehow I don't know Protect these girls from kidnappers, and you know I was like 120 pounds wet. Like what? Like what was I going to (laughs) do? And so, um, so I went down there, and so they they knelt down, and the, the, the crowd had spilled out into into one of the atriums there, and so they had knelt down and were praying, and so I was like, okay, well I guess I'll down here and like it doesn't seem like that there's any kidnappers here, so I guess, like, I'll bend down and pray for them, Mm. and as I was praying for them, I felt the Lord say, like, this is what you're supposed to do, you're, like, you're, you're called to be a youth pastor, and Mm. so I spent um, the first, like, 10 or 12 years, I can't remember, it was was greater than 10 years, is that, that'd be, that was 2003-2004, I got out of youth ministry in 2017, um, or two yeah, 2017 was the last time I, I pastored a youth group. So whatever the math is on that 14 years, mm. 13 years, 14 years, something like that was in youth ministry. Um, during that time a couple of breaks in moving and, and mm. having kids and and that type of stuff um was pretty solidly like in, in youth ministry for that time and then also did some other stuff you know being being an associate pastor and an administrative pastor and different things but you know, just felt mm. like that was just kind of where where I was As I just felt the Lord the lord drawing me in, right. and you know, that's not everybody that's not everybody's story that's not everybody's that's not everybody's call narrative mm-hmm. you know not everybody not everybody sees a vision of yeah. jesus when they're a kid i mean and that's not you know my story my story is my story but it's not the gold standard and right, right. nobody needs to not feel like oh like maybe i'm not like all oh, because christ did show up to me like yeah. like it's just like <laughs> i mean it's yeah. just like, kind of like well, i don't like i don't know how to explain it doesn't it make me any more special if anything you know i'm for Missouri and Missouri is the Show Me State, mm. and I believe the state animal of Missouri is a mule. I know our state bird. Actually, I don't know what our state bird is. Our state bird versus the bluebird. I think I don't remember mm. now. <laughs> I think the state animal is a mule, and if it's not a mule, then it certainly should be. Um, yeah. But I'm pretty sure that it is. And mules are kind of stubborn, and or um, kind of you know hard headed and whatever. And I'm definitely that in a lot of ways. And Missouri being the Show Me State you know, you kind of have to be shown things in order, in order to believe them. And that's just kind of how we are. So I kind of see it as like, you know, yeah, you know, um, me being a show me is like, it's kind of, it is like, that's what, that's what yeah, it took. Yeah. Apparently it's kind of some of these, some of these things is otherwise otherwise,
1: yeah. um, otherwise I might, I might not have believed it.
0: So, yeah.
1: Oh, I love that. That's so good. I love how you connect, you know, your place and where you are, your physical location to just sort of how you came into this. I think that's so important as someone who, you know, I keep, I'm I'm getting more and more into like decolonial studies and decolonialism, and I keep thinking about how much theology lacks the wear, right? Like the physical wear of of where you do it, and so I really, really actually love that. And so there was two things that you said that I wanna that I wanna follow up on. So the first one you talked about this dream, right? And and like well you re- we're just talking about right now about the whole show me thing. Um, and I it's so funny because I've been reading lately on indigenous women and um this book and i can put it in the show notes for anyone that's interested but it's a book on indigenous women and indigenous spirituality and and it's mesoamerican women so central and south american indigenous you know indigenous spirituality and one of the things that they talk so much about is this idea of dreams and how western culture and or how you know our culture has sort of looked at dreams as separate from like real life right like we go to sleep we dream and that's one thing and then we wake up and oh i had this weird dream and then you keep living your life as if it's not really a part of like your experience your lived experience your life your you know whatever it is um and i love how you especially how you said i didn't realize this was a part of my story until recently right that i'm like oh wait that that is a part of my story that is a part of my calling and I, I'm so fascinated by that. And I feel like there's so much richness in that because I have, I remember I have a vision of myself as a kid as well of, of you know, not the same as yours, but similarly where I had a vision of Jesus and he had, he was grabbing jewels from the sky and was moving the jewels around and, and it was wow. making different, yeah, and it was making different um, like there was the obviously like light you know like the the light was shining through the jewels and he wasn't saying anything to me but I just remember being so captivated by Jesus moving these jewels around right and that's something you know I, I've always remembered that vision and I never I never thought too much about what it meant right like I never I was like okay cool I have this vision whatever and my mom growing up was really into um what we would consider what dominant you know evangelicalism would consider I guess paganish whatever she like you know the like, occult stuff like she just loved like meditation and like you know all this guided stuff that back then was looked at looked upon as like very whatever you know like foo mm-hmm. out there um and so it was through one of these guided meditations that I saw this and so now as I look back and as I'm you know connecting with these sort of like this indigenous, you know, I'm my, I'm from the Caribbean. And so, um, the indigenous people from the Caribbean are the Tainos and I'm, you know, doing all the study about them. And I'm realizing like, man, like these visions and these dreams are, you know, that's a way of of the divine of God communicating and of God and and so now as someone who who loves to study the Bible and and sort of see you know that that ancient um, Jewish saying of like the the different faces of the Torah the seventy faces of Torah and how and they literally use that sort of thing of of the jewel and how how you turn the jewel around and how that is how you look at the Bible and you can look at it in so many different wow. ways yeah and now looking back I'm like Damn. oh my you know and I'm like. And, you know, I had never been taught to to like sort of how you're saying, right, to look at our dreams or our visions or or the place from which we do theology, the where, the Missouri, the show me state. I, that's all a part of the divine speaking through you and in you and to you. And I don't know, it's just fascinating. So I love that you shared that story because I, I literally the other day I was, I was sitting there talking to my spouse and I said, I literally, I'm not even kidding. I think it was probably yesterday or the day before I said I need to start remembering my dreams because I had just read that chapter in that book, hmm. and he was like, "Really? Like why?" And I was like, "You know, because I feel like Western culture has has got you know has pushed us so far away from 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 thinking about these things and and really seeing it as as a part of ourselves and our reality, you know." And then and in that same vein, I kept thinking, you know, like when we think of things, like when people write creative stories or when we, you know, we just get lost in thought. Those are real things that happen physiologically, right? When you're when you're dreaming or imagining something, like you feel it in your body, but mm-hmm. yet we have been trained to think that that's separate, that that's not reality. But but some people argue, well, that is, it's your reality. You're feeling it in your body, right? You're imagining these things, like in your mind, it's real. So anyway. That was really um, something that I've been thinking so much about. So I'm so I'm actually really excited that you mentioned that. Yeah, like, yes! yeah. You know,
0: I am a very vivid dreamer. Like I dream yeah, every night, too. and a lot of times I I remember my dreams. Sometimes I, I think of you as of as of late, just because of of with um, going to school and whatever, and so not always getting enough sleep and, and all that type of stuff. It's mm. been a little bit harder for me um, yeah. to remember my dreams. But I dream very very vividly. I dream I dream in color. Um, mm. dreams have been a way that have been significant points in my life when, when dreams have um, helped to guide me in, in making a decision or in knowing something that was, that was going on mm. or whatever. I mean, you know, yeah. like I, I could, I could tell stories of, about, about things. And so, you know, I kind of, I grew up um, a little bit with this saying, my stepdad was, was from Jamaica And so he had this saying for like, whenever you had a bad dream, like he would say, you know, dreams don't walk straight. Mm. And so, you know, kind of what that, what that means is like, sometimes you, you might dream things like, and it might be, and it might be upsetting and like, that's, that's okay. Like dreams don't walk straight. Mm. Um, But then also, you know, having this, having this, you know, I have several family members who have had dreams at different points in, in their lives, um, that have been really significant or that have, or that have pointed them, um, a certain way. Like one of my aunts had a dream, um, whenever she was young, where there was a a young man that she knew, um, who was in the Navy and, she had a dream one night that he was standing at the foot of her bed wearing all white and then the next morning it is in his sailor suit wearing wearing all white wow. and the next morning they found out that he passed away wow. and I don't remember how he passed away I don't think it was at war mm-hmm. um but but I don't think it was at war or anything but she but like she knew and like she told my grandmother um that, that she'd had this dream and then they were and then they found out um the next day that that this young man um wow. had had passed away I mean, yeah. you know I've, I've just I've I've had, you know, I remember when my grandma when my grandma had passed away. Um Whenever she passed away, she was an usher in in the little church, uh, the, the little Baptist church that I grew up in, and we, um, buried. She became an usher late in life, and it was like kind of her big thing. And so, um, we buried her in her usher in her favorite mm-hmm. usher uniform. Yeah. And so I had a dream where I saw her, and my grandma. She um, died of lung cancer mm-hmm. whenever whenever I was twelve, and um, for the kind of like the last part of her life, she needed to be on oxygen, and she would still she would still you know try to usher and try to do stuff in in the church and everything. And so I saw her in a dream, um, with, um, where she was wearing her oxygen and she was wearing her Usher suit Mm. and it was like, she was dead and we knew that she was dead and we were trying to tell her, like, you can, you can go, like, you can go now, um, And I remember being so upset by that dream. I was so like, I, like she, So then there was like a point like in the dream where like she, she basically like we were trying to tell like con- like I, like I was trying to convince her like it's okay, you can go to heaven now, mm. like we'll, like we're gonna be okay, and then like. At the end of the dream, like she she went to like she actually like her physical body, um went to heaven. I remember telling my grand my mom about it, and I was so upset. My mom was kind of like, "Well, you know, um you know, dreams don't walk straight. Like, it, like it will be okay." But then I realized, you know, later, I was like, "Wait a minute! Like that was that was kind of a way for me to have closure. Like that dream. It was, yeah. it, was it was you know upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like, but it it wasn't. It was upsetting in the sense of like the dream wasn't graphic. It wasn't it wasn't bad. It was mm-hmm. just like." oh my that was the first time I had seen my grandmother Mm. since she had passed away and so it was like oh my goodness and so it was kind of I think a a way for for me you know at at 12 years old to kind of be able to to like grasp like like not letting go of her in the sense of like oh letting go of her memory but letting go of her in the sense of like of like finding that finding that peace with she's gone like Mm -hmm. I can sit here and think about her being sick and think about whatever or I can be at peace that she's at peace and so you know there's been stuff like that and you know I get like I said I I could talk I probably sound like some like weird like person you to to western people but it's like I believe that and I think that that's something that that there's aspects you know of, of our spiritualities um as as people of color that we have been told are are wrong or bad or whatever like you know people look at 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 like venerating our ancestors like Mm -hmm. like recognizing that our ancestors are are present with us as like oh my gosh that's some sort of whatever but i mean hebrews 12 we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses like what like like we're we're so we, we don't understate like there's so much that we don't know what it means and there's so much even in the history of the church which you know by the way fyi is African people Mm -hmm. is brown people is quote unquote Middle Eastern people who came up with this stuff. You know, if you start talking about like the canon of saints and and all this other type of stuff, it was this idea that hey, these people are more present with Christ than we are. (laughs) Like they're they're more they're a lot they're still alive. Like somebody like like they're 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 dead here, but they're still alive and they're more alive than we are. If we believe that we trust that they're with God, so like. Like, like, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna ask them for stuff, like, and, and it's not that like we're asking them for stuff, but like, yeah, we're gonna say, hey, you know, pray for us, like, right, because right. because you know whatever, and I you think know, Protestants like look at that, like oh my gosh like why right. would like why are you praying to dead people like mm-hmm. how do you know that they're like whatever and it's like it's not quite that's i right. mean yeah you could you could call it that and a lot of people would maybe call it that but it's like that's not exactly like whatever you look into it, it's like oh that's not exactly what that is right and and for me being able to see like some of the, the afro asiatic roots in that that like you know hold on a second like you I us talking about like black folks talk about the ancestors mm-hmm. like that's like that like that ain't even and I mean, you of know, that some people that might stretch their theology and you know, um and it's whatever but yeah, yeah yeah it's just that there's there's so much that there's so much that, that I feel like is in bounds that that I don't know people are so afraid I mean I'll, I'll say you know in Pentecostal terms people are so afraid that they're going to catch a demon or right, something, right. rather than believing that like they belong to Christ and that mm-hmm. Christ is guiding them it's like you know I I have more belief in God's power to, to save and to heal and to deliver and to guide than I do in the enemy's ability to be able to deceive right. and to kill and to whatever. Yep. So anyway.
1: Exactly. No, that's so good. Um, yeah, and what you were saying about the ancestors, that's actually something, uh, a huge part of, I'm, I'm currently working on a book on Abuelita Theology, and I, I sort of came to this realization about the ancestors and about the whole idea of Abuelita Theology um, through literally Paul in Second Timothy, when he's talking to Timothy, and he says, you know, he, he mentions like your, the faith that was brought to you or the faith that sustained you through your ancestors. And then he mentions his grandmother and his mother, you know, and so it's like, He's literally saying, like, you are, Timothy, who you are, and you are able to do the things that you do because of your grandmother, because of your mother, because of your ancestors. But, yet, for some reason, we, you know, now, like, Western, white, uh, particularly evangelicalism, wants to disconnect us from our ancestors. Or, yeah, like you said, Mm -hmm. look at it as some sort of, you know, I don't know, out there, whatever sort of thing but i mean it's it's in the bible right i mean it's paul hello people love paul so it's like paul's the one saying it himself and so yeah i'm that's something that i really I'm also trying to recover um, in in my own sort of, you know, decolonizing journey of recovering this idea that I'm here and I I am the person that I am because of the faith and because of the, you know, the lived experiences of my ancestors. And so I think that's really, 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 really important and um, something that, yeah, we should be pushing against as people of color, as people who are ancestors, you know, they're, they're, uh, their strength and their survival and their, you know, all of these things have made us who we are. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's really important. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up.